the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. You bet. Wednesday, December 15th, as we head into Hour 2, as we do every every Wednesday, we check in with our good buddy David Schweiker, representing Arizona's 6th Congressional District and Common Sense in the House of Representatives. My main man, David, how are you, sir? I am well. I'm sitting in an elementary school parking lot waiting to go in with my little girl because it's like teacher appreciation and Christmas. So we're painting like little tiles. Oh, that's fantastic. So, that's yeah, fantastic. And, and we got back a couple hours ago from Washington because they had we had that debt ceiling vote. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, you you, wow. you you did a great speech and video on this that people can access uh, on Twitter or other social media. Uh, Congress votes to to increase the debt ceiling without talking about what's driving the debt to reach historic oh, yeah. levels. It, well, think of this. Um, last year, last fiscal year, we borrowed $47,000 every second. Huh. Every second for an entire year, we borrowed over $47,000 every second. And that's just the borrowing. That's not spending. That's the borrowing part. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. It's an impossible yeah. thing to do. I'm looking at a, a still frame of you holding up one of your famous placards that you like to that you do. No, it's good. It's illustrative. I, I you have I, to teach get, this way. I get teased a bit about those. No, but, I'm not teasing yeah. you. I'm I'm saying do more of it. Uh, it's great. It's very helpful. Uh, the debt limit increase. We have no. N- there's no wall that that will ever hit on the at the pace we're going. It seems like. And you have LOL written under deficit reduction because no one wants to talk about it. Well, well, here here was the uncomfortable part, and you get, you know, screamed at like you're a heretic. We say I will not vote to raise the debt ceiling yeah. unless there's a meaningful attempt to bend the borrowing curve. Right. And I, the reason for the speech was trying to demonstrate that these folks that go through this sort of faux hysteria, the world's going to come to the end are unwilling to admit Graham Rudman, um, the sequestration, all everything for functioning the last 40 years when there's been a substantial bending of some spending. It was associated with a debt ceiling fight. It is the stressor in congressional politics that forced people to say, I'm willing to make a compromise because, you know, the lobbyist world, you know, the constituents, they, they, you'd be shocked. The majority of inbound you get to your congressional offices, people begging for more spending. Right. They want more money, and they want someone else to pay for it. Yeah, no lobbyist ever showed up saying spend less, ever. Yeah. Right. And that that is the cultural problem. I cannot tell you how many of my meetings start with, I'm a conservative. Yeah. Uh, David, you need to spend more money on this. Yeah. Or let me make and, the and conservative case for the minute, the minute they have to say yeah. they need to, you know, you know, to hold on yeah. to your wallet or now, our wallet. Are, yeah. Are some occasions, if, and you and I have talked about this for years now. Healthcare spending is the vast majority of the driver of our U.S. debt. Right. If you have things that cure an ailment, cure a chronic condition, because well over fifty percent of all of our spending 
is to 5% of the population that have chronic conditions. Yep. And functionally about 77% of all the borrowing is driven by Medicare. It's healthcare costs. So things you can do that cure, go ahead and invest in. Do it. Um, it's just like Donald Trump spent the money on Operation Warp Speed, and they, they created a miracle. They did things, you know, three times faster than anyone dreamed it could happen. Yeah. Um, and, and you have a living example of that. Remember a few years ago, the Veterans Administration and others were panic-stricken on how they were going to pay for all the liver transplants right, right, for right. hepatitis C. Right. And then we came up with a cure for hepatitis C. Now, it was really expensive, but it was also a fraction of the cost of doing a liver transplant. That's an example of getting it right, except your Congress, your, 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 particularly your Democrats, they use the money to try to buy elections, not to try to solve the future problem. People uh, in, in, in dire straits who need to see, want to see a doctor, are finding frustration with getting appointments, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, the health deteriorating the whole time um, are pulling, you know, they, they pull their hair out. And yet you're, you, you just put forward something with a, with a group of colleagues that I think goes to helping to not only satisfy yeah. that problem, but bend the curve, as you put it, downward, this uh, expansion of telehealth. Do I have that right? You have it right. And everyone who's ever used telehealth, you've got to understand um, it's incredibly controversial in Washington. There's lots and lots and lots of organizations, big organizations, that substantially lobby against it because it cuts down the foot traffic into your urgent care clinic mm-hmm. or whatever it is, mm-hmm. your facility is. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we had the expansion, which was my legislation, yep. of, of telehealth was the pandemic. They needed something. They grabbed my legislation, so it was never going to become law except when the pandemic hit. Now we run into the problem the day the pandemic's declared over, which is another piece of legislation I'm working on, is to get the pandemic declared over. Yeah. The expansion of telehealth goes away. And so a number of members who have been able to sort of convince that if you get the technology right and you have fraud protection to to stop out the fraudsters, this actually expands access and cuts the cost of accessing healthcare. I I love that you're doing this serious stuff, David, and that you're educating the public in your uh, floor speeches as you're doing it. One of the callbacks to you, I had a bunch of people asked if I would follow up with you this week from your discussion with me last week. You you, you may recall the discussion it had to do with mandatory spending and how there's so much of the budget we just simply can't touch. So their question was, it's a good one, I I do my best to answer it, but uh, you're the the teacher here. Uh, What can be done as far as not making that kind of spending mandatory, it would take a massive effort to change those well, laws, right? But it, Entitlements is what that. we're talking about. Yeah, we're, we're to, well, we've got to be careful how we use the word entitlements because so many people misperceive that we're picking on them. Okay. So, you know, you worked your 30 quarters, you paid into FICA taxes, so you earned your Social Security benefit. Yeah, that's a one-to-one and, understanding. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, yeah and most Americans... The amount of money they're going to get out of their Social Security is pretty much what they paid into it. Yep. Medicare, you get like four to one. Mm-hmm. So you put in your you and your spouse put in one hundred and thirty, and you're going to get five yep. fifty out. Right. And it's that differential that's driving most of the debt. Um, but those are earned benefits. 
um, if you served in the military, yep. you earned your VA benefits. Yep. But those are those are entitlements. But they're mandatory spending. But they're earned entitlements. They're they're earned. You have the other side of the ledger, which you get certain things because you're in poverty. Right. You fell under a certain um, uh, you know, income. Yep. Or you had certain diseases. Yep. You know, if you have renal failure, um, you actually automatically, no matter how old you are, can move right into Medicare. You also have some that are you're part of certain tribal groups and it's part of a treaty where the United States made a, a um, contractual obligation to the tribal population. So, yes, what you have to do is on a lot of these things, you have to have some really tough conversations of if you're really, really, really rich, do you still need the same um, dollar amounts um, on Medicare and Social Security? And, and that's a tough conversation, but... That's actually not the number that actually bends the spending curve. The spending curve has to be a revolution of the cost of health care. So people want to say, well, let's do entitlement reform. Great. You know, when you actually study it, if we'd done it 20 years ago, it would have had a big effect. When George Bush was trying to do it, President Bush was trying to do it in the early 2000s, it would have made a huge difference. Today it's too late. Um, the baby boomers, the peak has already turned 65. It's too late. We now have to take a different approach. You've got to grow the economy at an incredible rate, and you've got to push down the cost of delivering health care. David, why is there such an allergy or an allergic reaction to means testing? Uh, people who can afford things not necessarily, uh, and well, well afford things, not not necessarily be, 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 being given the same kind of formula that those who can't do. Why, yeah. why is that now, such an allergic thing? Okay, now do remember, we do means test partially uh-huh. Medicare benefits. Uh-huh. If you're a very high income earner, now there is a debate out there of should it be based on income or asset. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have some people that pay themselves with certain types of passive income sure. that have incredible assets. Sure. And um, but but you're still talking about fairly small populations. Where you get into some really perverse stuff is what the Democrats are doing in their social entitlement spending bill, the Build Back Better. Yeah. Where you're going to take functionally upper 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 middle class and lower upper class. So the people making two hundred. 225, 200, up to 250 thousand dollars a year, and they would be getting checked every month for having children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that's an occasion where uh, you look at it and go, okay, we, we we're compassionate, we love, we want to help those in greatest need, but this is just blatantly trying to buy votes. Yeah, um, and we have to once again deal with the reality. Uh, we means test lots of things. You could make the means testing a steeper curve. Maybe you flip it on its head. We spend about $1.4 trillion every 10 years subsidizing really, really rich people, subsidizing their new electric car, their battery, their you solar bet. panels, yep. their flood insurance for their third house on the beach. Right. And that's something. And, and I drive Democrats nuts. When I keep showing them, saying you want to do state and local tax deductions yeah, for right. high tax states, which almost exclusively goes to multimillionaires, right? To the best, and they just look at you in horror, saying, "As as honest Democrats will say, is they want to tax the rich, just not their rich." Yeah, 
That's what it is. David, thank you. Um, I have to give you a message. Olivia called a little earlier. She said, Dad's coming to school. Can you tell him not to crimp my style or embarrass me? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> now you're in town. I want to see you in studio. So uh, let's let's put something together, okay, hey, brother? That, maybe, maybe next week. Yeah, 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 time. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, look, you've touched on this before. I understand sometimes with some of the listeners, because a bunch of your listeners are my friends, they, they, they get tired of me being technical. But the people that want to talk about bright, shiny objects, you know, today's bad conversation, great. But that's not the thing that's going to destroy this republic. It's these big issues. It's the debt. It's the really hard stuff. I'll do the painting. You do the details. I think it's a match made in heaven. How's that, David? Yeah, wonderful. Bless you, sir. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960, if you'd like to participate. Chris, is that music from your youth? Eddie Money and stuff like that? Not so much. What was the, if we had to define your high school and college, <laughs> I'm not making you work hard. You give me the sigh and roll of the eyes. No, oh, mine, I have to put my headset on. No, no, mine's just very different. Mine, mine is 90s music. So. Okay, so... What? Uh, I mean, I can remember my first two albums I ever bought, and this will give you perspective. MC Hammer. Uh-huh. Uh, you can't touch this. Yeah. Uh, because I was from California. Yeah. And uh, Bob Dylan's son, Jacob Dylan, the, the Wallflowers. Yeah, I like Jacob Dylan. Yeah, so those were like, you know, the beginning of music and whatever, and then, you know, just all the 90s, mid-90s music, that uh, weird era of... Spice Girls, stuff like that. Sure, sure. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right, no doubt. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Hanson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was all there. It was all there. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, do me a favor, uh, Chris. Do you have the ability to pull up that audio of Don Lemon from CNN last night? Can you do that for me real quick? Listen to this. Don Lemon's talking to uh, Brian Stelter and, uh, and one other person. Go ahead. We yeah. know all of this. Why? Why does Jen Psaki even continue to call on Fox in the briefing room? And I mean, they're very—they've been very courteous and I should say, you know, kind. Because if your network is promoting BS and lies about what is actually happening in the country and helping to inspire and incite an insurrection, why? Why should they even be able to take part in a legitimate press briefing in legitimate journalism? Now, now, just yeah, hold on so a second there. Now, now, just just hold. Stop right there. Helped inspire an insurrection. Has he read the texts from the Fox News editorial hosts, the Laura Ingrams? Has he read the text? He has not. Or he's lying to you. He's either living by a lie he does not know or he's promulgating a lie he does know. Because the texts are all showing things like, Tell the president he needs to call a stop to this or this needs to stop or this needs to stop. Now Trump's legacy is going down the tubes. That's the kind of stuff the the, the Fox News hosts were texting and tweeting on January 6th. So what Fox is Don Lemon talking about? Not the real one, not the actual Fox. So he's complaining that Jen Psaki calls on one Fox reporter, Peter Ducey. Now, most fair-minded people, I think, I think, would watch these 
press conferences, press gaggles with Jen Psaki, and realize the only one who asks questions that are actually on most American minds, most Americans' minds, are is Peter Ducey. He really is the only one that's making news in these press conferences because he's asking the relevant and trenchant questions that most of us would like to know. That's That's just issue one. Issue two, have you ever heard... Well, at least until Hunter Biden's story in the New York Post, have you ever heard of one news network calling another news network illegitimate on its own air? I guess I guess that's what you do when your ratings go to zero is you try and censor, you try and stop the competitor. When your ratings are low, you can do one of two things. Be better or get rid of the opposition. In their, in their case, the opposition to them perceptibly is Fox. I don't know why they don't think the opposition to them is MSNBC, by the way. You know why? Because CNN doesn't actually care about eyeballs. It's a lost leader for that corporation, CNN. They don't care. They care about the ideology. That's why MSNBC isn't their competitor and Fox is. Now, the other thing, of course, we, we can point out the disparity in numbers. I think at his height, Don Lemon has 600 thousand viewers, your Tuckers, your Laura's, your the Fives, your 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 entire complement of 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 evening Fox News has triple and quadruple those audiences of Don Lemon. It, it the, the the highest rating show at CNN up until his up until his his uh, departure was Chris Cuomo's and he was barely hitting a million. You're you're having Tucker and Laura and those guys Sean's in the in the in the multiples of millions of viewers. Who's Don Lemon indicting then? Is he calling all of Americans, um, or at least the majority of Americans? Is 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 he calling them um, fanatics? Is he calling them troglodytes? Is he call them that, calling them insurrectionists? But none of that is really the main point. You know what the main point is to me? The main point is to me he just called Fox News an illegitimate network and not a real news organization in that audio. He, CNN just called Fox News an illegitimate network. Four days ago, it was announced that one of the longest-serving Fox News contributors and hosts, Chris Wallace, was going where? To CNN. How do they hire someone who for the last 20-some-odd years has been serving illegitimacy, has been himself employed by an illegitimate and pretend news organization. Consistency at CNN is not a um, is, is is not of high interest. It's not of a prime rate over there. But I just think once in a while, once in a while, it's worth pointing out how awful and struggling and out of touch and desperate they are. Desperate because they want to censor the opposition. They want to do to Fox what they did to the New York Post and the Hunter Biden story. If you want an illegitimate network, I would say it's a network that peddles lies. And if you want a network that peddles lies, I give you the Russian hoax, I give you the Hunter Biden Russian influence deal, I give you CNN. Tell me about this. This was your music. This was your style. This is this was your. This was, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? I mean, when I was ten, eleven.
11. What is it? This is a one headlight. Wallflowers, Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This was your role. Yeah, but I mean... This was the song of your people. You know what I would say, though? I mean, you could tell me if I'm incorrect. My age, I feel like, was exposed to just such a myriad of different types of music that like like when you were growing up how much how many different genres like really extreme different genres genres would you think you listened to I was raised on folk and country and then the Beatles and Sinatra and, and didn't many, get to rock and roll much later in life and like maybe a half a degree is really different between if you really think about correct what I'm getting at correct is like, I would listen to rap music yeah. and and this type and like you know there was grunge and there was ska. I yeah. mean, I really was exposed across the board. There were so many different things. So, were you exposed to good music? All, all of it. I mean, also old. You know, that's what the, I meant. Yeah, yeah. Beatles, uh, yeah. Stones, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, I used to go to. Some, my mom gave me Johnny Cash um, live from San Quentin when I was really young. And believe it or not, that is what, and maybe this is a talk for some time I should do with the audience, but that got me interested in prison reform, believe it or not. Johnny Cash at San Quentin, which late, later got me interested. You hear our hosts doing work for Angel Tree right now, raising funds for Angel Tree, some of our national hosts. That's a project of Chuck Colson that grew out of his prison fellowship. I got interested in Chuck Colson's prison fellowship because of Johnny Cash and San Quentin and that album that my mom gave me as a little boy. I, it just it's a kind of a funny thread that worked its way and I'll never forget uh, what my mom uh, taught me about that stuff and then my next out and I would go to sleep to it every night and uh, then it was uh, a hard day's night by the Beatles and then some Sinatra I felt like contemporary uh, rock was much later for me I feel like I'm 30 years old so you're 30 38 oh 30. okay That's <laughs> no, yeah <laughs> okay I feel like 40 plus uh, all of my family music affected and impacted people's lives way more. Uh, all of my family, one became a musician, yep. one worked in kind of a different sector. My mom was a musician yep. for a while, where I think my age was probably the start of kind of like very similar to what life is right now. You know why? There's so much of everything. Yeah. I was less impacted. I had all the great music. My mom was a Fleetwood Mac fan. Yep. I got all that. I got all of my just different genres and I think it was overload that music became less impactful. I think what changed too is the computerization of it all. And the and all Access, all yeah. that kind of what's that tune thing the voice what's that the the oh, true auto tune, tune auto tune and all that. Yeah. yeah. I think the technology took over the techne took over arte if I'm using the latin. Right. Techno technology took over the art. I don't say access. Like it was, you know, music was harder to find. Yep. It was more of a, uh, it was more of an exploration. Back in now, a, back in the older. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you went to record kid. stores. But even when I was a kid, I mean, I grew up on. You'd go to like, Circle Records and yeah. or not Capital. What was the um, Tower Circle? Tower, yeah, I grew up at yeah. Tower. All yeah. of that, but it's hey, so far removed. Hey, Chris, this is good. But do tell tell me, we had that call about the NFL and COVID. And you know so much more about the NFL than I do. T tell me this thing. Tell the audience what you were telling me on the break that was kind of interesting on this. Yeah, well, there's like a twofold thing going on right now. The NFL is dealing with uh, – um, they're calling it like an intensive uh, protocol change. Seven. There's over 90 players that have tested positive for COVID in the NFL right now. And uh, multiple teams are dealing with, you know, their complete different change in protocols across the board. And two things have come out for it. The NFL lead medical examiner 
had to comment, obviously, on what's going on yeah. as these teams are going. And he said something really interesting where he said that um, it, there's so many – and by the way, the cases are probably 90 95% all vaccinated. Yeah, sure. Here, that the uh, th- there are so many – a majority of the cases are asymptomatic right, right now. Right. And what's so odd about that is – the 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 craziness that they're taking with it when there's so many asymptomatic cases with these players and it tied in with something that just came out a writer Albert Breer uh, said that with the NFL had owners had been exploring an idea of um, giving a benefit to players that would get the booster that they would then not have to wear masks around their facility or any of that type of stuff a, a benefit to get the booster would be to not have to wear masks or, oh, that was the big one, I'm sorry, to get tested. Yeah. They would not have to get their daily testing if they got the booster. Those don't add up. No, it doesn't. It doesn't add up. The daily testing is, I mean, it depends on where you fall on this. Do we have to take the break? Let's take this break. I'll come back in. And I'll come back with some actual good news for y'all. For those of you that hate the way the left is changing our language, I will bring you good news. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. What you were telling me about the NFL, Chris, if you get the booster shot, you don't have to wear a mask, is being contemplated as a possible incentive. The big one was, and they're only talking about it, but it was in a winter meeting, is the incentive is if they were to get the booster, they would not have to continue having the testing. Or the testing. The mask is is pretty minimal right now unless they're in an intensive protocol. But it's the testing that they're trying to incentivize, which is crazy because because the vaccinated fully players. and with a booster. Yes, of course. Uh, there is so much theater to all of this. It's not science. It's public policy theater, which is actually leading to more problems, more cases and more and more and and, and, and more ill health due to covid because people are believing this nonsensical attitude and nonsensical dissemination of fake science, fake medicine, fake news, because it suits their purposes. Now, let me give you something. Just use your common sense. Uh, Omicron. It, uh, when, did you first, when did we first become aware of it? End of November, so about three, four weeks ago at the most, at the most. The first stories, well, the first question the first question anybody had about it was, well, if, will, will the vaccines work against it? And the headlines for the first day and a half to two days were along the lines of, I read them on air at the time, so working from memory, but close enough, were along the lines of uh, doctor sciences, uh, doctor scientists uh, studying vaccines and Omicron, whether the vaccines are useful to protect against Omicron, are effective against Omicron. This, the scientists weren't sure as of just under a month ago. Have there, has there been some kind of unified or series, even if not unified, series of studies that have been done in the last three weeks? Has there been one in the last three weeks that substantiates what we're now being told about double vaccination plus booster to prevent harmful effects or baleful effects from the Omicron variant of the coronavirus? If there is, I've missed it. How did science and politics and the wedding of the two 
become so self-assured over the course of three weeks. You know how it's, it's, it's in, in law, or at least in constitutional legal studies, we talk about outcome-based jurisprudence as a negative thing. You don't want a judge or a judiciary or a judicial temperament that wants the result ahead of, you know, before they hear the case and do their analysis and then tells their clerks or <coughs> takes upon themselves the study of how to get to that result. Let's see. I want Roe to lose or I want Smith to lose or I want Wade to lose. How do I get us there? You don't want theory. I mean, it happens way too much, but that that's that's to be to be criticized, to be condemned. And, 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 and every judicial nominee, left or right, says they won't do it and they don't do it and have never done it, right? They all say that. They just go where the law takes them. They all say that. But that's what we have here now in medicine and public policy, outcome-based science, outcome-based science. We don't go where the science takes us. We know where we want to end up politically, so we manipulate the science to get us there, or even not even manipulate it, just say the science is there based on the credentials of those who are speaking. And the credentials, of course, start with uh, your Rochelle Walensky's and your Anthony Fauci's and, um, and, and, and the doctors that uh, CNN puts on the air and MSNBC. And then, of course... You know, you get your Charles Barkley's uh, along the line, too, those who have actually no knowledge or study or training in any of this, um, but have much larger audiences than even Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky combined so that they can sputter out this nonsense. That's what we have. We have outcome-based public policy and public health. Outcome-based public health. It's not, it's not tied to any kind of research. I mean, this is this is what they did with the first study on the vaccines and masks. Remember when the line was from Joe Biden and elsewhere, now that you have two shots of the vaccine, once you're fully vaccinated, we can relax the mask mandates. You don't have to wear a mask anymore. The new guidance is now double doubly vaccinated, don't need to wear the mask. And then, uh-oh, and then there was an uh-oh, now you need to wear the mask again about two weeks later, and they produced a study out of Providence that uh, that they said substantiated the need to wear masks, even though you were doubly vaccinated. And, 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 and those who actually read the study saw something kind of interesting. The study didn't really go to any of that. What the study actually showed was, oops, the vaccinated can not only obtain, attract COVID, they can spread it as well. So get rid of the study, bury the study. Don't talk about that study anymore. Just talk about, well, as Joe Biden did yesterday. Do you have Joe Biden from yesterday still, Chris? Can you give me Joe, Bi Joe Biden from yesterday? Sorry, I should have warned you. He talks about freedom and not to have a to have a shot or have a test. Well, guess what? And so how about patriotism? How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? Unscientific statement, medically, What's the big scientifically false. By the way, I passed over this, and I shouldn't have. But Joe Biden now invoking patriotism and the patriotic thing to do, I know he's been doing it for a time 
with masks. You may recall that. He used to say it was your patriotic duty, and now it's the patriotic duty. Patriotism in the mind and in the hands of the Democrats is is a very different thing than patriotism in the mind and in the definition of Merriam-Webster and all history until now. That's one point. The second point is when Donald Trump talked about patriotism, you know what they said he was doing? Say it with me, dog whistling to the white supremacists. When he talked about patriotism, it was a dog whistle to the white supremacists and racists in this country. Joe Biden, however, can talk about patriotism having to do with how you personally decide to handle your own medical and personal health. Something that can only be put in the bucket or category or column called patriotism by an act that can only be called invention. Invention. And now we understand a little bit about how we might still be one nation with two very, very, very different cultures. Because the first thing that creates a common culture is what was known as a lingua franca, a co- lingua franca, a common language. We may all be speaking English, but the words don't mean the same things to them as to us. We're in Humpty Dumpty land. We're in Humpty Dumpty land as in Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, where she engages the discussion with Humpty Dumpty, who says words mean what they say they mean. Because what matters is who has the power. You do realize that those who can convert our language under that theory and doctrine of linguistics are doing nothing more than what used to be called tyranny. Right? Right. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our buddy Rob in surprise. Hi, Rob. Hi, Seth. Um, You know, I was thinking about the Joe Biden thing, and, you know, wouldn't it be even more patriotic if they gave Americans other options other than take the vaccine, like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, more zinc, more vitamin B, C, D3? Yeah, but they see they seized control of the distribution so that they can so that they can control that. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, yeah, it's outcome based public health. And it's not on, exactly. and it's not based on the public health. It's based on a political uh, predilection. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Now, um, on a similar governmental theme, um, you may have read or heard that the Social Security, of which I'm on, uh, is going to go up by I don't know six something percent, which is a big increase. But what they didn't tell you was that uh, the Medicare payments are actually going up about. In my case, about 30 bucks a month, which kind of negates about half of the Social Security gain Mm -hmm. that anybody who's retired gets Mm -hmm. because the money for Medicare comes out of your Social Security. Mm -hmm. It's funny how people never really talk about that. And again, you know, again, only seniors probably uh, care, but I think this is just an example of uh, either a government sleight of hand or. Uh, the failure of the media, which, as you know, has been failing miserably uh, for so long. And then, of course, we have our raising the debt limit thing. I think the House voted to increase it by $2.5 trillion, and that, appro- that approves our 
boosting the debt limit overall to $31.4 trillion. Mm-hmm. Now, remember back in the 60s, I think it was uh, Everett Dirksen who talked about a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. Well, now we're in extra money territory. Yep. And what ha- what happened uh, in, in this case, of course, the Federal Reserve keeps pumping out cash, but Remember, too, that our cash is fiat money based on, well, nothing. See, that, that's what bothers me more than anything else. We know, yes, Rob, we learned this, right? I mean, you and I did. A lot of us learned this once upon a time. We read our Milton Friedman. It's not hard. This was Milton Friedman's whole career was, expl- well, it wasn't his whole career, but it was probably 70% of his career was explaining this very point. There is a way to curb and stop inflation, and inflation is theft. It is theft on everything you buy and everything you earn. And it's theft that is created by what you just said, Rob. The spending, the federal... You want to stop inflation? Stop or at least curb the spending. And if anyone doesn't quite understand that point or that principle... It's real easy because the Friedman Foundation has a million YouTube and other videos out there if you don't want to read his books with him doing long clips and short from the Donahue show to lectures at UCLA. All over this. All over this. I just hate the fact that we have to keep learning and teaching what we already know. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 